This is Iron Sports, and we have in a, a esteemed author, Neil Bascom, who wrote a book called Faster. And uh, Neil, thanks a lot for coming in uh, to Iron Sports. Thanks for having me, Ira. So, when your publisher showed me the book, I, it was about a French Jewish race car driver and a f- American socialite, a French American socialite race car owner driver against Hitler and the best war machine he had in terms of putting cars together. And I was like, this is a good fiction novel. And then I didn't realize that this is actually a true story that you wrote about because I had never heard about it. And it was just amazing and fascinating and just even more the fact it was. So I just, I think what I'm surprised about is it took for you to write the book for this long, for this to come out to the public mind in terms of this great battle between uh, the the French Jewish driver and uh, Nazi Germany. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty startling too i mean the the story itself is is sort of very cinematic and you know when i was first sort of tipped off about the story the, the the legend i was given was there was this car or the series of four cars that were built in france and when the germans invaded um paris and took over they tried to find these cars and have them destroyed they stole all these records from the automobile club of france and they basically the germans wanted the history of this car uh, eliminated uh, from the books. And I wouldn't say that that is why um, that we haven't heard about this tale until then. I think it's largely because these great events with Rene Dreyfus and Lucy Shell happened right at the cusp before World War II started. And I think they just got washed away um, in, you know, all the great events that happened afterwards. Sort of like the Raiders of the Lost Ark, almost, in terms of trying to damage <laughs> with Harrison Ford. But as uh, someone who who is interested in cars, but I'm not a car aficionado at all, it was inter- in the book you described the 20s and 30s about the cars. And when you mentioned names like a Tor Bugatti, the Maserati bodies, Enzo Ferrari, we're not talking about the names that we see today. These are the real people that founded these cars, and they got their their acclaim because they were making these fast cars at a time when people were not like, you know, 10, you said 10 miles an hour was fast and suddenly they're going 50 and hundred miles an hour. So talk about the fact that this was like the golden era of, of car manufacturing with all these famous names. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was fascinating to me too, that, you know, all these names that we know of now, Porsche, Alfa Romeo, Maserati, Bugatti, all these sort of acclaimed names. I mean, this period of time, really the late twenties and the thirties, was was really the genesis moment for for all of these different players and the cars that you would see you know prior to that period you know they were going maybe they would go at a top level over 100 miles an hour but it was this period of time really over the course of, of six or seven years where the speed of these cars uh these engineers the, the greats maserati porsche um, Bugatti were, were, and particularly the Germans, were investing so much in the technology of these cars. And so although they made no accommodation for safety, um, there were no helmets, no seat belts. You really had to kind of brace yourself uh, by your knees inside this car, no roll bars, nothing like that. But these cars were, went from going 100 miles an hour to sometimes going over 250 miles an hour. And so it was just this alarming um, <laughs> advance in speed and became a much more dangerous sport. So it was kind of this golden age, but it was also one that was absolutely deadly. And on every weekend, you would see um, drivers uh, perishing almost. 
Right. I mean, you were talking about like they were riding on courses. Um, things were going to come like rocks were hitting them. They were crashing from just that. Um, they would drive through rain. I mean, today there's a rain on the race course. They black flag. They stop the race. They would just drive right through the rain. Cars were blowing up, catching on fire. Just and of course, you said there was no protection, no nothing. And uh, it was just but these people, they just love taking the risk. All these drivers. It was but they were they were viewed as almost like the modern day astronauts almost. So taking these risks when a risk to do it and. And, uh, but it was just that was what they wanted to do. Yeah, and they were, you know, I mean, the thing that you have in, in faster, particularly before the nationalism takes over auto racing, is is these race car drivers are the celebrities of the age. You know, as I think I write in the book, they're sort of matadors of their time. I mean, Rudy Caracciola, the, the great German driver, I mean, he had made his name uh, the Regenmeister, the Rainmaster, or Bernd uh, Rosemeyer, also a German driver. Um, was was the fog master. I mean, they would drive in whatever conditions, um, no matter how deadly. And you're and you're right. I mean, they were they were absolutely, you know, in many cases thrill seekers, <laughs> but but very brave ones. And to a man, they just absolutely loved driving and were willing to do sort of risk anything to to be at the top of their game. And you spend time in your book about Rene Dreyfus, the protagonist, um, born Jewish, but never really identified himself as Jewish. But the other people put it upon him that you're Jewish. So it made him like during the, the 30s when he was said, you know, he could have run. He could have ran for the German team. But like, of course, the Germans weren't going to have him on the team. And his name Dreyfus was uh, was associated with Jewish a whole, with the whole Dreyfus affair in France itself. But it was interesting when he grew up, he, he, his family wanted to go in the paper. Or I think he went with the brother and he said in a pa- the paper business and he goes, I'll be the driver. I'll drive around. And he just wanted to say, keep buying me a faster cars because I can, I can go to more places if I can get a faster car. Yeah. <laughs> from the, from the very beginning, I mean, he just craved and loved speed. He wanted to get uh, behind the wheel of a car. Uh, he kept buying faster and faster cars. I mean, he came from kind of a middle-class background, Rene Dreyfus. And so, you know, a lot of these top race car drivers came from relatively wealth, wealthy families. Some were counts, uh, but R- Rene kind of came up uh, a bit from his bootstraps and had to sort of finagle his, his mother into getting him a car and was just a really talented, uh, daring driver. And by 1930, he kind of catapulted himself up into the top echelons of, of Grand Prix racing by winning the, the second ever run uh, Monaco Grand Prix. And really, over the next six years, was one of the top ten or dozen drivers in in the world on the Grand Prix. And you know what fascinated me about the story and why why I wrote it was, you know, what was it about nationalism um, that a changed Grand Prix driving, and what was it in Rene and and actually Lucy Shell that made them sort of stand up and and want to take on on the Germans. And Rene, in many ways, was kind of the reluctant hero. Um, you know, he wasn't invested in, in religion at all. And it was kind of Lucy Shell who ultimately hired her, him for her team um, that kind of pushed him to, to kind of be the symbolic hero of, of, of kind of the Jews against uh, the Third Reich. And then you bring you talk about the antagonist, really, Rudy Crociola, who is more also in some ways reluctant. Uh, he, I mean, he wanted to be a race car driver. That's what he did. But he ended up becoming the face of Nazi Germany and, and the, uh, uh, you had the story about in terms of with car racing, 
But he told the story in the book where he won a race for Mercedes, and uh, they said, oh, you got to deliver it to a, an, an important customer. And he drove the car to Hitler's house before he was running Germany and then drove Hitler around in the car. And just But that whole association between Caracciola and Nazi Germany and how Hitler was using the car industry and the, the fact that we're going to make the fastest cars, we're going to win all the races, we're going to dominate the Grand Prix, bringing back and showing, trying to, to, to show Nazi Germany is better than everything else in terms of, and Rudy was the face of that, him and Bernd Rosemary were the two faces of uh, the, that growth for the, the Nazi Germany. I mean, what was interesting about, to me about Rudy's sort of background, I mean, if you were to read about him in, in other books or articles, but he's either painted one of two ways. He's either painted as as, you know, kind of evil representative of the Reich, or they don't even really mention any association that he had with the, the Nazi party or the Third Reich, and he was just this great German racing driver. And really, you know, what's interesting about Rudy is, is the gray parts. You know, I mean, he was uh, not political. He loved race car driving. He didn't care about politics, much like Rene Dreyfus didn't care about religion. But in 1933 and 34, he got into a terrible uh, race car uh, crash, uh, became uh, hobbled by it. He lost his wife in an accident. And really, the only thing he had left in, in life was, was racing cars. And so getting back uh, into a Grand Prix car was everything to him. And so when Hitler began investing heavily into to the German firms, Mercedes and Audi, in, in order to bring Germany to sort of the forefront of, of Grand Prix racing, um, you know, Rudy was willing to, to kind of, you know, accept whatever the Third Reich said, um, be, you know, the poster boy for them if it meant he could get in the car. Uh, and even though he didn't subscribe to, to, to Nazism, he, he made those choices, he made those decisions. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think he's, you know, kind of sacrificed his soul for it. Right. And then you had Lucy Schell, who... I mean, we talk about Danica Patrick being this famous trailblazer. Here's in the 20s and 30s. She not only was she financing cars because she was rich enough and she was glamorous and all that, but she would ride. And you talk about these rallies where they would go from uh, all across Europe in these races that would take a week or 10 or two weeks to do. And she was one of the top rally racers in the country as herself in the 20s. Uh, just amazing character in her own right. You could have a movie about just Lucy. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll admit that I kind of fell a little bit in love with Lucy Shell. Uh, I mean, she was, as you mentioned, this this kind of pioneer, and she was a speed queen, one of the earliest race car rally drivers. I had this this great scene in Faster, and it was one of kind of the finds of, in my research of where a French journalist followed her on a Monte Carlo race. And he's in the back seat, and you know she's driving basically from Upper Norway all the way down to Monaco, and driving through these caverns of ice, and the roads are slippery, and it's extremely dangerous, and people are dying. And you know the the more difficult, the more challenging things became, the riskier, the sort of wider the smile on her face grew. I mean, she would drive with broken arms. She, you know, it was almost impossible to write about Lucy without her kind of bursting from the page because she, you know, she dominated every room she was in, and Ultimately, you know, her story sort of transitions from being the speed queen, this, the top-ranked American rally driver, to about 1935-36, where, you know, she's kind of hanging up her racing overalls, but still wants to be invested in sport, and really wants to be the person who takes on the Germans and, and sort of knocks them off their perch 
uh, as the best in the Grand Prix. Right. And when Hitler, as we just said, when Hitler came to power, he took this focus on on car racing and cars in general, wanting to, to build the German uh, auto industry. And so instead of there was Daimler Benz, which was Mercedes, and then there was that gr- a group of Audi and Porsche, which was you called the auto union. And, and instead of giving each one was in trying to become the favorite to Hitler. And so he said it, he just gave it to both. He was giving money. So there was two teams. There was the Mercedes team and then there was the auto union team. And then you talked about how that that battle between those two uh, to try to get the favor of Hitler was so great in terms of trying to go faster and faster and faster uh, in terms of that battle. Yeah, so, I mean, there was definitely this rivalry between Mercedes and on union. Um, and it's, you know, when I looked through the old documents in Stuttgart and, and elsewhere, these, these firms, I mean, they were they were at each other's throats the whole way through it because they were, as you said, you know, bidding for uh, Hitler's attention. And, you know, the second speech that Hitler ever gave after rising to power uh, was about automobiles, was at the Berlin Motor Show. And he made it very clear that, you know, one, uh, it was – you know, by Germany conquering the Grand Prix, it would be a huge propaganda bonanza uh, for the country. And sort of more subtly, um, he was was sort of popularizing uh, auto sport in order to bring young people into learning about how to drive and how to take care of cars, because that was ultimately his goal was to create, you know, this vast motorized uh, infantry. And so he needed drivers for that. So so it was more about more than about sport. It was about more than propaganda. It was really creating his war machine. This this battle of the Grand Prix was a pretext for something uh, much more sinister. And then I guess the the face of that would have been Bern Rosemary, the other driver between Rudy Crociola. So that was the one he was sort of he embraced Nazism and looked the part and and was married to the, the perfect person. To, and they were, you know, he was like the face of it at first. And, and, and I guess that rivalry between Bern Rosemary and Rudy Crociola they ended up having trying to set the speed records, and you went in detail about how uh, there was this battle where Byrne had the record, and they would race on the autobahn. Just they would shut the roads down and, and have these, and who could hit the fastest speed? And then ended up Rosemary ended up dying in, in one of these races. I mean, the, what they were doing again? I mean, the, this battle between Auto Union and Mercedes, and they they knew they were putting their drivers at great risk. I mean, pushing the speed boundaries, going over two hundred and fifty miles an hour in these cars that that if you actually you know pick up a copy of faster and look in the photographs I and mean, they look like um space jets i mean they're surrounded in aluminum clad you can't see the wheels it's a bubble over the roof and these things uh, going that fast with that kind of suspension i mean Bernd rosemeyer would write about how just moving the the steering wheel uh, a millimeter or two in the wrong direction would would leave you somersaulting through the air and, you know, Rudy writes of, of, of this sort of absolute horror of driving at these at these speeds and what exhaustion it gave him. And, you know, it would take hours for him to settle down afterwards. But they were pushing the boundaries and they were pushing the boundaries because Third Reich wanted to not only rule the Grand Prix, but they wanted to rule the speed records. And, you know, ultimately it caught Bernd Mosmeyer his life and kind of more dastardly than even that is that once his death uh, happened, he was he became again this propaganda instrument. Uh, there was a great funeral, uh, and you know he just was gave his life for the right, is, is how they put it. 
And then you mentioned in the book about how that four-year period where the, the German cars just dominated. And then the, if they didn't win, this, the next ones were the Italian the Italian cars with Mussolini using him. So the whole nationalism of the sport and f- where cars were started in France. So it was sort of the Bugatti of the, the French and the French were sort of left out of the whole thing uh, in terms of the fact that they, were, they couldn't compete with the, with the Italians and the Germans. And then you mentioned in the, ones in the part of the book about how they decided, let's have a race for a million francs if somebody can hit to 145 miles an hour and have fastest. And then that was, a, that was sort of this speed test. And that's where uh, how Renee Dreyfus and then Lucy met up in terms of her sponsoring this Delahaye car that was another French car in order to try to, to get this record and get that million francs. Yeah, I mean, it was it was became kind of like a space race in, in some ways. You know, who, who could get to the speed record first? And I think what's so incredible about the Lucy, <clears throat> what's so incredible about the Lucy Shell story is, you know, she's she, she's a rich American heiress. She has all the money in the world, um, but she decides to spend it all um, building a, a Grand Prix car from scratch. And so she taps the Delahaye firm. And Delahaye uh, was this. A storied French automobile firm, but by 1930s they were on the edge of bankruptcy. Uh, they hadn't really built, been competing in in any sort of sports car, or race car events for years. But they had this very good uh, young French engineer named uh, Jean Francois, and she goes to Delhaye and asks them to to start uh, to build her a car. And over the course of a year, they do exactly that, and it's this incredible leap of faith. Uh, not only on Lucy's part, but on Delahaye's part, and then ultimately uh, Rene Dreyfus's part. On, on you know, he really at that point was was kind of a jockey without a horse. Uh, the best teams had banned him, and so he didn't really have much choice to go with Lucy Shell, but and Delahaye. But he 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 was very doubtful that they'd ever be able to bring him a car that would be worthy. We're talking to Neil Bascom, the author of the book called Faster. It just came out last month. It's one of the best sports books I've ever read, and it's just a great, great book. It's I run Sports 95.9, 106.9. Um, and then you get the book gets to, to the, the fact that in the 36 Olympics, we all know about Adolf Hitler, Jesse Owens, when they had the Olympics. And then also, but the Germans went and sent to, there was, you talked about this time in the Vanderbilt Cup in 37, where they actually sent all their drivers over to America in Long Island and dominated that and said, look how great we are. We're Nazi Germany and we're amazing. And that, that became uh, just a, their whole idea. And that's what propelled, again, Delahaye, Dreyfus, and Schnell. And, 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 and in terms of like, how can we compete against this? It seemed like unbeatable team of people. And, uh, and, and in terms of working and, and getting to that and working with Delahaye, I mean, it's just your effort in the book about saying how they just went again and again and again trying to get their car going faster was just amazing. And it turned into not just being like, make a fast car, but this was, this was bigger than car racing. This was like, you know, our own war because they, uh, against Germany. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a, a symbolic effort. I mean, you know, Delahaye and Rene and Lucy beating the Germans on the on the race car track. I mean, that that's not going to change the course of the war. But Lucy was convinced that you know it, there needed to be heroes, there needed to be symbols, there needed to be people fighting against uh, the Third Reich. And her field of of expertise or or love was was motorsport, and so she decided to put herself forward in in that field. And, you know, taking on the Germans, no French car, no French driver had beaten the Germans in over four years. 
Um, and it was just this, you know, leap of faith to try to do it. And it was right in 1938, where right before World War II broke out, that they tried to make their great effort. And, and you know, I, I don't think I'd have written faster if, if they would have been beaten by the Germans. But the event at the Grand Prix, opening of the Grand Prix 38 season, was, was one of the great races ever. And I'm not, we're not going to say what happened. <laughs> <laughs> because I just Don't think it, it I'm not giving the whole book away because it was such a great and then just how do you describe it and it was like and because you had built up Rudy and you built up Renee I mean you're just thinking these are real people and you built in terms of the competition between the two and, and Rudy was you know you had the little side story where he stole his best friend's girlfriend and then married her and all these other little side stories to this entire thing and and then uh, but I did want to add about I thought it was really interesting that it, Renee in his later life ended up becoming in Renee was in America and uh, and it was stuck during America during the war and then opened up a restaurant in Long Island for 25 years that was like a, in Queens I'm sorry Queens Forest Hills and was a very popular restaurant so he, he he was a race car driver and then he had a restaurant for 25 years in 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 Queens yeah and to add to that I think between you know between the being a restaurateur and a, and a Grand Prix race driver he also um, eventually became an American citizen uh, during the early parts of the war volunteered for the army and was involved in the, the landing of Allied forces in Italy. Um, saw action. And just, you know, I mean, he had three lives, you know, race car driver, uh, soldier, and then restaurateur. I mean, he's just an absolutely incredible man. Right, and I think that... And then you could, I did think it was cool how you talked about how there are only four Delahays left. And we think about the names of the Ferraris and Maseratis, and here the Delahay is known for one of these great race races, and there was only four made. And you, you talked about how there's one guy that owns three of them and another guy that owns one, but there's not sure which one ran in that race. And uh, it was just interesting how you went and tracked all these cars. And, and the fact that Delahay brand did not, we don't hear about the Delahay brand because it, was, it went out of business and wasn't carried on. Yeah, eventually, um, you know, after the war in the 50s, kind of got taken over and, and, and the brand disappeared. Uh, but Delahaye cars, you know, they are, you know, there's, there's a cult of people who just absolutely love them. They're absolutely beautiful cars. And of the four Grand Prix cars, they're all in America. And I actually, you know, for quote-unquote research, I got to drive in one of them. And it just was this, you know, exhilarating, terrifying experience of this, you know, driving only at 70 miles an hour in this open-topped car with these tiny little wheels, but you feel every bump uh, and every sort of uh, cycle of the engine. Yeah, I think it was interesting. You talked about how Rene went back to Europe when he was older. I think it was, it was, they said in his 70s and took uh, a car and just drove all the courses that he had run, all the old Grand Prix courses, uh, to just to go around them and just get, it was like you know a big celebration about him going back to, to Europe and running those races again. Yeah, it was, it was one last victory lap, and, and he was followed by a reporter and, and when he was doing that. and Just the stories that he had to tell of that particular period of time, this golden age of racing, um, and hopefully that's what, what readers find. It's just, just sort of fascinating period of, of, of time. So we've been talking to Neil Bascom, author of Faster, uh, and your book is available through Amazon, Barnes & Noble. You can just go online and, and, and e-books and everything. So uh, just a tremendous book. And, uh, Neil, thank you so much for coming on Iron Sports. And, and, oh, wait, tell me, I was going to bring this up. Is there a – this should be a movie. Like when we talk about Ford versus Ferrari, is this going to become Faster? Is, are we going to see this in the movie theaters when we can finally go back to movies in maybe a year or two? 
I hope so. Uh, Imperative Entertainment is, is developing it. The screenwriters are, are writing it, and I'm keeping my fingers crossed. I, I think it'd make a, a very good movie. Oh, it would be a great movie. I mean, Ford vs. Ferrari is nothing, and I love that movie, but it was nothing compared to this. <laughs> and it was great. And the fact that you have this heroine like Lucy and then Renee and... and I just just a just a great uh, thing. I just I'm so glad that you brought this to our attention. I encourage everyone to read this book. I don't care if, if you don't even like sports, which you, I don't know why you listen to the show, but you would like this. But if you love cars and like the issues about cars, it's a great book for that. Uh, thank you so much, Neil, for coming on Iron Sports. Thank you. I really appreciate your enthusiasm for the book. Thanks a lot.